Blog Talk Radio. I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark of BamaMag.com, joined as always by Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine, our producer, and soon to be joined in just a few moments by Drew DeArmond of ESPN 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville. We're coming off a comeback victory over Tennessee that's nine straight years to tie to Nick Saban and beating the Volunteers. Final from Bryant-Denny Stadium, Alabama 19, Tennessee 14, in a game where the Crimson Tide Kind of had to grow up a little bit. Uh, had to make a comeback in the fourth quarter, and uh, Jake Coker proved up to the task, as did Derrick Henry, Calvin Ridley, and Ardarius Stewart, and all their friends. Alabama was able to play 51 people in the game. That is a low for the year. Uh, the starters on offense were Robinson, Pierce Baker, Kelly Taylor, and Jackson on the line. O.J. Howard had his best game. It played tight end. Jake Coker, Derrick Henry, Ardarius Stewart had his best game. Calvin Ridley, another good game, and Richard Mullaney. Defensively, the Tide started on the line. Sean Robinson, Jonathan Allen, and Jaron Reed. Linebackers were Duvall, Fitzpatrick, Wagland, and Foster, who missed practice today for an excused reason. Uh, also in the secondary, they started Cyrus Jones, Humphrey, Eddie Jackson, who is back from his injury, and Gino Matias-Smith. Off the bench, the Tide was able to get into action. Now, they're saying 51 guys play. I saw 50 of these. One of these, I'm not sure when he got in, but I'll tell you about that when I get to him. Off the bench, the Tide used uh, Chris Black, uh, Ronnie Harrison, Beverly Sylvie, Cam Sims, Tony Brown, Deshaun Hand, Jerron Payne, J.K. Scott had his best game of the year, uh, one of the best games of his career. Kenyon Drake, Cooper Bateman, Sean Hamilton, uh, Sean Dion, that is, Maurice Smith, Ryan Anderson, Jabril Washington, Dylan Lee, Sean Burgess-Becker, Anthony Averett, uh, Rashawn Evans, and Derek Gore. I never saw the walk-on running back, a transfer from JUCO, get in, but he must have gotten in at some point on a special team or something. Keith Holcomb, uh, Mike Nicewinder, uh, Tomlinson, Cole Mazza, Tim Williams, DJ Petway, Brandon Green, who may be starting right tackle next week. More on that later. Bradley Bozeman, Hale Hentges, and Adam Griffith, who had another good game. Adam Griffith is now nine of his last 11 on field goals after starting 0-4-4. But, uh, Thomas Watts, you were up in the press box with me. You had a chance to take in all the action live and in person. Uh, what were your impressions of Alabama's comeback win over UT? Well, I hate to sound like a broken record to just echo your comments, but, you know, you found out more about the team. It was a, They had to have a clutch drive, and Jake Coker and friends delivered. You know, you, you have to feel good that, they were able to do it with LSU looming in a couple of weeks, and anybody that thinks that game is not going to be 60 minutes of nip-and-tuck close-quarters action is is smoking some good stuff. But the team was tired. You know, Alabama, after eight weeks, 
tired of doing the same thing over and over. The bye week is needed. The bye week is appreciated. And you hope that Alabama puts its best foot forward against what will be a very tough LSU Tigers team in a couple of weeks. I don't think we're going to see the team we saw against Tennessee in terms of low energy and what Nick Saban called dead-leggedness again for the rest of the year, in my opinion. Oh, I agree. There was a definite excuse for that, and it was kind of expected. You were kind of hoping it would be avoided, but, uh, I mean, those kids are human. Yeah, we all had a lot more energy than we were 19 or 20, but still eight weeks in a row and all the practices in between, and they – you know, it almost caught up to them, but they reached down and, and found that extra gear when they had to. And you're right about LSU. It's going to be nip and tuck, mother and – oh, I can't say that. But it's going to be a tough game. Uh, Slobberknocking, interesting comment today, and I totally agree with this, by senior safety Gino Matias smith Thomas. He said uh, LSU does things a lot like Alabama does, uh, offensively and defensively. They have the same philosophy, similar personnel going to be like playing ourselves and i think there's a lot of truth to that Uh, oh absolutely Uh, you look at the two teams you can debate how much better leonard fournette is than derrick henry i maintain that they're in the same orbit even though fournette to this point has been a little bit better the quarterbacks i quite frankly think it's a push brandon harris has done workman good job the past couple of weeks but He's also had some bad performances. And you really just go down the list from there, and you're like, LSU slight advantage, Alabama slight advantage everywhere. And Smith is absolutely correct. It will kind of look like Alabama playing itself. You really have to hope as an Alabama fan that the Alabama front seven, which has pretty much locked up the designation as best in the country, and it's currently running away with it, if you ask me, comes to play and is able to stop what will be a very, very potent LSU ground attack. It's not just Leonard Fournette. It's also Daryl Williams and Darius Geis and even Brandon Harris. He's got, he's got some athleticism in his legs. So it's, it's, a, it's a fun game to look at statistically. You could not pay me enough to play in it because I would be in an ice bath for the next two weeks. But, you know, more power to the Alabama football team going into that one. Yeah, and it'll be a game they can get fired up for because, uh, number one, they know they haven't played well at home all year. And this is a chance to correct that. they got two weeks to prepare. Uh, they're, they're playing for all the marbles, really, because uh, if Alabama loses, they're pretty much out of contention for the Western Division. And we'll have to settle for non-playoff, uh, non uh, – they might ease into a New Year's Six Bowl, but that's even – that'd be even questionable if they lose. Uh a lot of people seem to think, though, uh, that are picking the game, and it's very early, but a lot of people seem to think that the Vegas line of Alabama six and a half is about right. Most people feel like Alabama will win the game, but let me say this. Most people felt that way in 2011, and while Alabama should have won that game, uh, there were difficulties with place kicking, and they didn't. That's why, Thomas, I'm so happy to see this turnaround in the last 30 days or so with Adam Griffith. Absolutely, and like you said, Alabama's going to need it. And on top of that, uh, J.K. Scott has started launching ballistic missiles again with his foot. So Alabama's going to get stops on Leonard Fournette. Are they going to be able to stop him for 60 minutes? I'm not sure that the the early 2000s Ravens could do that, quite frankly. I think he's that good. 
but they're going to force punts, and there's going to, it's going to be a field position battle. I think the six-and-a-half-point line is a little bit high. When I saw it, my jaw hit the floor because as good as Alabama is, LSU's right there. And LSU, while you can say they haven't been tested on the road, their one road test was an early season game against Mississippi State where they almost let Mississippi State back in through the back door. Other than that, it's been, you know, cream puff, cream puff. But still, this team is so talented. And as bad as I think Kevin Steele is as a defensive coordinator, he has, <laughs> had, he has not had enough time at LSU to turn what should be a championship-level defense into a nuclear dumpster fire. That's just no. my opinion. And he's got a lot of talent to work with, so uh, he does know a little bit about football. And uh, we've got a really good lineup for y'all tonight. Those of you that are listening live or on the podcast, uh, we're going to be joined in a few minutes by um, Hannah Chalker, who we've had on here before from Crimson Tide Sports Marketing. And then at the bottom of the hour, we'll be joined by Brett Beard, who co-hosts the radio show up in North Alabama with Harold Bug. Uh, Brett's a longtime friend of mine and Drew's. And next hour, we'll hear from a good friend of this show, Jimmy Stein, a.k.a. LJS Law, on the Internet. But, Thomas, do we need to run a spot real quick? Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and pay a couple of bills. Let me queue up that commercial while I'm getting Drew on the uh, on the line. Sure. You're listening to BAMS Radio, a member of the BAMS Sports Radio. Do you love books but find that you never have time to read them? Well, Audible.com has the perfect solution. Get audiobooks and listen to those books you've been meaning to read while on the go. At the gym, during your commute, Audible.com provides over 180,000 audio programs from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, as well as business information providers. Their app is free and works on iPhones, iPads, Android devices, and Windows phones. You can also download and listen on your Kindle Fire and over 500 MP3 players. And unlike a streaming or rental service, with Audible, you own your books. So you can access your books anytime and anywhere, right from your smartphone. Audible.com also has the Great Listen Guarantee. If you decide you don't like the book you chose, no worries. You can exchange any book you weren't happy with for another title, anytime, no questions asked. If you know about me, all the stuff I do with Two Deep Zone and BAMS Radio, as well as being a full-time graduate student, I'm a busy guy. Audible.com lets me grab a book and listen on the go where I'm commuting to and from class or in between classes. And just today, if you go to audible.com slash Bama, you get a free trial. And welcome back to BAMS Radio. I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark, along with Thomas Watts. I'm with Scout.com and BamaMag.com. He is with Touchdown Alabama Magazine. And Drew DeArmond of ESPN 97.7 The Zone was with us briefly during the spot, but he seems to have disappeared again. But that's quite all right. A lot to talk about tonight, uh, recruiting stuff, more on the Tennessee game uh, as it comes up, and uh, more on the LSU game, even though it's not for another week and a half and uh, even some basketball to discuss. Uh, just a whole lot going on right now. And that sounds like Drew. Drew, how are you doing tonight? Well, maybe not. It looks like him on the screen, I promise. Drew, we're live on the air. Okay. 
I, I dropped Drew for a second just because I heard him go kind of crazy. Uh, I have Hannah on hold. Okay. If uh, if you want to start that, I will start slamming around with Drew and getting that to work. Yeah, we'll go ahead and bring her on. Uh, we're going to go ahead and bring on our first guest of the evening on the Big Heads Barbecue Hotline. Check them out at BigHeadsBBQ.net. And we all enjoyed some Big Heads Barbecue last Saturday at the fundraiser for Carrie Good at the BAMS Radio tent. But uh, I want to go ahead and welcome back to BAMS Radio a uh, good friend uh, and a, kind of a new member of the Alabama family and Hannah Chalker of Crimson Tide Sports Marketing. Hannah, how are you tonight? Hey, guys. I'm doing great. How are you doing? Oh, we're just fine. We're just fine. Uh, a little bit of uh, some technical challenges with uh, getting Drew on the air, but we're we're almost there with that. But Thomas and I are here. And, uh, Hannah, I want to start off uh, – by thanking you for joining us and asking you, uh, since I was not able to make it, it sounds like there were some pretty big uh, goings on last night at Coleman Coliseum with an event called Tide Tip-Off. Were you able to make it over there? I I definitely was. I was working the event. Okay. Well, it sounded like a really, really good atmosphere. And uh, just kind of tell us what it was like being there and what some of the things that went on were last night at Coleman Coliseum. Well, first of all, technical difficulties happen all the time, so I'm with you guys on that. But Tide Tip-Off was so great. You know, Avery Johnson is bringing in more hype around the program than ever before. You know, Avery Johnson is a player's coach. He's a fan's coach. He's a coach's coach. I was up actually in Charlotte with him for SEC Tip-Off before Tide Tip-Off, and it was incredible. You know, I followed him and the guys around. Um, they had Jimmy Taylor, Shannon Hale up there there with us. We took the team jet over to Charlotte. And I tell you what, every corner we turned around, and whether it was the LSU coach or whether it was SEC, you know, network host, it was hugs all around. And Avery Johnson just could not get enough of the media and people. And it was so fantastic. He's such a great person in and out. He's such a great face for the program. And tight tip-off last night was incredible. It was a full house packed house they had the three-point contest the dunk contest all three of the guys who participated in the dunk contest Avery said one but uh Lawson Schaefer won the three-point for the men and Kadisha Carter won the three-point for the women so it was a fantastic event and so much hype around the program and I could not speak highly enough about coach Avery Johnson and of course coach Curry as well she's fantastic in turning that program for the women around as well and uh, Hannah, this is Drew Yarman. Nice to have you on again, and uh, great to know that you were a part of the event. I was following it closely on Twitter and social media. It did seem like there was a lot of energy and enthusiasm. I know you interacted with a lot of people. What was uh, the what, what, the fans and/or students you talked with? Uh, what, what was their excitement level? I mean, uh, to me, it had to be the most excitement I've seen around Alabama basketball, maybe since the Wimp Sanderson days, but uh, that's been a long time ago. But obviously, it was a, a great event. I mean, if we were doing it from, like, a scale of 1 to 10, it would have been a 15. I mean, everyone I talked to was so thrilled about the event. Avery got the fans involved. Of course, it was students, faculty, and staff, and um, season ticket holders that were at the event. And it was just, I mean, the cheering, the sounds. I mean, it was a fantastic event, and everyone was so positive. So, I personally believe that basketball games is going to be a packed house from day one. I think that Coach Johnson has a, a long road ahead of him. You know, it's not going to be Final Four, Sweet 16 time, you know, right away, but 
he's going to build up the program. His recruiting is phenomenal. I've talked to many players who are involved in that, and it's it's so much hype and well-deserved. I mean, Coach Johnson is such a big name to bring in the program. He's so positive, especially with his buckle-up motto for the school. So it could not have been a better event and a better turnout than they had last night. And I'm going to give you a statement first and try not to laugh too hard. And then a question. The the statement is, I'm not sure, and I know you're fairly young. I'm not sure how much you remember about the TV show called The Brady Bunch. Uh, I don't remember remember Brady Bunch. I mean, I'm young, but I'm not that young. I grew up on The Brady Bunch. Okay, well, Greg Brady called, and he really would like Lawson Schaefer to give him his haircut back. I promise. I cannot promise not to allow that. That's hilarious. Okay, so my exact thought, especially when they did the dance-off. I don't know if y'all saw it, but he did the dance-off, and he had some, like, serious moves down on the court. Um, It's like the typical Alabama swoop. I mean, you got, we've seen it with even the football players. I mean, I'm trying to rack my brain around, like, I just it's an Alabama thing. It's the Alabama swoop, it's the frat swoop and he has got it going on. So I've even seen it with some of the football players. I think even Jake Coker has a little like swoop going on, so he's got some serious hair, but I think that's just like a southern thing. It's like it's like almost like the frat bro thing he's got going on. I think it's great. Well what Jake has is what's called uh, Bama Bangs. It goes all the way back to John Parker Wilson. But Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Uh, Lawson Wilson, is taking it to Bama a new Bang. level. It is, it is. It's like it's like the Bama Bangs on steroids. <laughs> I'm going I'm going with Bama Brady Bama Brady Bunch. But uh the other <laughs> thing I want to ask you, since I was not able to be there and neither was Drew or Thomas, there were it sounded like Avery kind of uh treated the dunk contest like an upward basketball game where everybody got a trophy, but and I know that Retton was more impressive in round one, but overall do you think it's fair to say that freshman Dante Hall was the true winner? So, you know, I don't think that Austin necessarily should have been a part of the mix. He didn't really do anything that impressed me. But Hall's last final dunk was incredible. I've been watching highlights of that. I even cut a highlight of that for um, Tide TV and RollTide.com. So I think that between Retton and Hall, I think, you know, at the very least maybe they could have split it. Um Paul, though, he had some serious, serious dunks. So I, I could agree with you on that, yeah. And, Hannah, obviously this is your first year uh, with the Crimson Tide Sports Network. Uh, Alabama is uh, off to a pretty good start in football, pretty strong the first two months. Uh, they had a really good week, or excuse me, month, I should say, of October. Uh, I know you were caught between a rock and a hard place in the Ole Miss game. Ole Miss did uh, <laughs> Uh, your alma mater did pull that one out, and they've had a pretty solid start thus far as well. But are you looking forward to the LSU game? I know uh, you've heard all the uh, the talk of the atmosphere at that game and how big it's been over the past uh, nine years with Coach Saban there and, of course, his connections to LSU. But uh, I know uh, you, you guys will be preparing for that steadfastly, much like the football team, over the next couple of weeks. But your thoughts on the upcoming matchup with LSU, and it's going to be another hyped one, and it looks like, College game day will likely be uh, in Tuscaloosa after the Florida State-Georgia Tech outcome. 
Yeah, first let's talk about the Ole Miss-Alabama game. It was a really tough game for me. I wanted to come on and talk to you guys that Wednesday after, but it was just so crazy trying to regroup after a loss like that. And it'll be the second year in a row, potentially, that Alabama loses to Ole Miss and, you know, sparks some kind of fire and goes on to the Final Four or the, the playoff. Um, I'm still in basketball mode with the Final Four. But that they lose to Ole Miss and go into the playoff, you know, that could be a huge spark and a huge storyline. But that was such a tough game for me. My parents were here. Uh, my first Ole Miss Alabama game in Tuscaloosa, I was in Oxford last year for that game. That was a really tough game for me. I actually ended up leaving early um, just because, I don't know, it came out in the, the, the very the, the final of the game. I almost couldn't handle it on the sideline. It was one of those things where – do I cheer for the school I'm working for? Do I cheer for my heart, my alma mater? Um, I ended up leaving like halfway through the fourth quarter. Um, I wasn't doing any post-game things during the time, so it was almost just too much to bear. So uh, <laughs> that's what happened during that game. It was a really tough game for me. But this LSU-Alabama team, it's funny because I've been covering this Alabama-LSU rivalry ever since 2011, 2012. Um, so it's really tough for me because I was doing it as an outside, from an outside perspective. So I was covering Alabama, LSU, you know, whoever is the be- the best that wins. I have so much respect for Les Miles and the Tigers. I actually really, really enjoy covering that team before I worked for Alabama. So it's a tough place, but with the, the spark and the momentum, the way that Jake Coker is settling into his role, um, I was on the pregame show with Eli Gold and the Crimson Tide Sports Network, and I talked to – uh, McElroy when he was in town for SEC Nation, and he talked about how he believes that when the final moment for Coker to seal his starting role with the team was versus Texas A&M, when he would make those tackles and he would he would actually lower his shoulder into the tackle, um, and he was really putting in a lot of effort is when he could see the reaction from the sideline, and you could tell the players had a lot of respect for him, so... It's going to be a really tough game. It's going to be a really tough tough challenge. I mean, I don't care what sport you're playing, Alabama versus LSU. I mean, it can be any sport across the board, any venue, any record. It's going to be a tough game. But I obviously ultimately want Alabama to win and hope Alabama wins. It's going to be one of the biggest college football games in the nation. All eyes are going to be here in Tuscaloosa. So the guys have a bye week. Um, I talked to Dalvin Tomlinson and Gio Mateus-Smith today. We do player interviews every week, and – um, they get three days off this weekend. Coach Saban gave them three days off to enjoy with their family, but they're going to be right back to it. They told me that they're going to use this week to get healthy and rest their muscles and rest their bones, and they're going to right back to it. And um, all their focus is on this this LSU game. So um, I clearly think Alabama is going to win it just from momentum purposes, but they're going to have a lot of challenges ahead. And I've been meaning to ask you this since I've covered every home game, and I've, I never see you in the press box. What exactly do you do on game day? So I do the pregame radio show with Eli Gold, Tyler Watts, and Chris Stewart. Uh, we're on th- we're on three hours before the game, and so we cover a full three hours. We do a lot of player interviews, former player interviews, Prince Wembley, um, Antonio Langham. We're on last week, interviewed with them. It was a lot of fun. We're in the – um, Crimson Tide tailgate party right outside the stadium. Um, I'm I'm up in the press box, so I'm surprised I haven't seen you, but I'm mainly down on the field. So I do a lot of um, halftime reports, 
pregame reports. I do some stuff for the big screen. I've done multiple packages for the big screen pregame and halftime. And then um, Christopher England covers postgame interviews with the players um, just because I work pregame, so he works postgame. So we kind of take turns. But it's a really long day, but usually I'm done on the sideline. But I do make it up to the press box halftime and right before the game. And Hannah, obviously, as you said, it's going to be a, a huge atmosphere uh, for the LSU contest, and it's going to be probably the most electric atmosphere, at least in Ole Miss. I really, even though they lost the game, I thought uh, that was an energetic stadium and a great crowd uh, thus far. But I, another uh, aspect of this I wanted to talk to you about, I don't know if you've seen it yet, uh, but I know that as part of the Crimson Tide Sports Network, you will be covering it. Uh, they're having a fall practice, and it is coming along. It will debut uh, this coming February. But your thoughts, uh, and if you've been able to take a look at the baseball facilities, uh, what you think of that uh, as far as with the University of Alabama, because we're all anticipating that uh, uh, greatly because it was much needed and should take them to one of the better facilities in the country. Sorry, you were breaking up a little bit on that. Can you repeat what exactly were? Sure, no problem. I just wondered if uh, – I know you're going to be part of the Crimson Tide Sports Network, so you're going to cover all sports. And I didn't know if you'd have had a chance yourself uh, to see. It's not going to be, uh, of course, played in until uh, until the in February when they have their first series against Maryland. But I know it's very close to completion. Have baseball. you been able to get a good look at the baseball facilities? Oh, yes. Yeah. Sorry, you were breaking up a little bit there. Um, yeah, I actually did – um, the very first walkthrough with the entire team. So we had a crew that went out there for coaches' first walkthrough, but I went out there Sweet. last month with, with the team's very first practice on the turf and the very first walkthrough with the team. So the playing field has been complete for quite some time, but the entire field itself or the entire stadium itself is still being worked on. I actually talked to Coach Gaspar just yesterday, and it, he said it's 80. Incredibly, we walked through the uh, locker room with the guys, and they actually had this thing. I'm not exactly sure the title. I don't think they settled on the title. But right behind home plate for special members and special ticket holders, there will be like an entire like tailgate area inside the stadium, and you'll walk upstairs to your seats behind home plate. So they've got a lot of really cool features, a lot of really cool things going through. But I walked through with the guys the first time, and Coach actually gave them the tour, and we filmed it. And the, the tour – and Bill Battle was there as well. Um, he's out – you know, Bill Battle is so great. He was out there for every, you know, big event, every big thing that goes on. But the um, tour is actually on RollTide.com. We did that a couple weeks ago. But the guys were just astonished by um, the size of the locker room. They're going to have flat screen teeth flat screens covering the walls. They're going to have uh, phone chargers and iPad chargers plugged into every locker room. You know, you can go down the list. It's going to be state-of-the-art. So I have personally seen it. I think just yesterday they pulled down some of the tarps. Um, just last week they finished the scoreboard. So it's 80% complete, and it, the completion date is still set for the very first home series. So I know everyone is extremely excited. The parking lot of Malmore is a mess. You can't <laughs> park over there. I was just over there today, and it's it's a mess. But it, it's it's getting closer and closer to being completed. Great stuff. Thank you. Yeah, yeah thank no you problem. so much for uh, joining us tonight. And uh, I do hope to run into you in the press box, maybe LSU game. But uh, I know I know you need to run. But we want to thank you so much. And uh, just remind our listeners before we let you go where they can see your work. 
Yeah, so um, I do production and on-camera work for RollTie.com as well as Tie TV and Tie TV This Week show, which is syndicated all across Alabama, as well as Crimson Tide Sports Network and the pregame radio show with Eli Gold. That's on 50-plus radio stations across the southeast as well as Sirius XM and then the SEC Network. So I'm calling some volleyball games and calling some games and hosting some stuff and producing some reports on SEC Network as well. So it's a great, great job. It's a lot of fun. And roll tide. <laughs> roll tide. Exactly. And a great to have you on. Thank you so much. And Bye have guys. a great night, I'll Hannah. see you soon. Good night. That was uh, Hannah Chalker of Crimson Tide Sports Marketing, uh, uh, now becoming a good friend of this. And that was really some good stuff. Uh, I really we enjoyed her describing the atmosphere last night at Coleman Coliseum, Drew. It sounds like the 8,000 people that did get to go had a great time. And don't be disturbed if you're listening and hear me say 8,000 in the place holds 15. This was basically an invitation event. You either had to be a Bama student or a season ticket holder in some sport. They didn't just let you walk in off the street. They would have had more. But, Drew, it really sounds like and looks like from the video that the people that were at Tide Tip-Off last night had a great time. Yeah, and they let the media cover it. And uh, it's the, you know, the complete 180 from uh, the last two years when it was basically Coleman Mausoleum. And it just goes to show you if you have the right head coach and someone with vision and forethought and passion that you can uh, get a program going in the right direction. Now, of course, uh, the wins and losses are going to matter, but I think that's going to take care of itself. I don't think there's any doubt, as Hannah said, he's recruiting on an unbelievable level. Uh, You know, I don't think uh, Marcus Bolden visited last weekend, but he still hasn't committed or signed anywhere. Uh, The signing period starts in a couple weeks. Let's see where that goes. I don't think you can put anything past Avery Johnson and his staff, and I think they've been busting it, and uh, just everybody's anxious to see the product on the floor, and we pray for Jimmy Taylor, who missed uh, yesterday because of a family emergency. We hope everything's going to be okay there, and look forward to seeing him back on the floor, and it sounds like uh, he's, uh, and I talked to someone yesterday who went to the open practice a couple weeks ago, and he said he saw more coaching in 15 minutes than he's seen in the last two years, so very exciting time and uh, anxious to see the product on the court. Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun, and uh, hopefully everything's okay with, with Jimmy's family, and hopefully everything's okay. It doesn't sound like anything too bad, but hopefully everything's okay with whatever personal excused miss of the practice situation today for Reuben Foster as well. Yeah, Reuben Foster's fine. I think it's uh, some people, as usual, kind of taking uh, kind of uh, trying to panic a little bit. But I, from what I was told today, Reuben uh, is just fine. Yeah, that's kind of what was hinted at. Uh, but just, you know, it, they have to report when they get their little five- to ten-minute viewing period if something oh, yeah. like major like that is not out there. They have to report it. I mean, they're just doing their job. Uh, nobody's really speculating that it's anything horrible. In fact, he'll probably be back tomorrow for all I know. But, uh, you know, it's interesting that you brought that up about Marcus Bolden. He was spotted on the Oklahoma campus, so he made a visit there last weekend. Uh, it's, it's interesting to me. You know, now it sounds like uh, that Greg Little is actually going to take – a visit to Alabama. And if that happens, it, it gives some Bammers like me hope that had pretty much conceded Greg Little to Ole Miss. Uh, but now he's saying he's pushing his commitment date back a week and is going to visit Bama for the LSU game. So perhaps there's still some hope with Greg Little, who we thought Bama had led for all along. Well, I'll just say this. Uh, based upon what I found out today, he's going to visit Ole Miss after uh, his commitment ceremony and after visiting Alabama. So uh, 
just reading the tea leaves and reading the writing on the wall, Alabama still has a shot in the situation, but I still think you got to give Ole Miss the edge. Probably true. Yeah, it's probably true. Just, I'm just happy that he actually did finally agree to make a visit to Alabama. Yeah, um, when we'll see if he shows up on said visit. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's it's, 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 you know, but we got two more weekends, including this one, uh, to you know to see if Marcus Bowden shows up. But we yeah. do have our next guest ready to come on with us on the Big Head Barbecue Hotline, and Drew, I'll let you introduce him. Absolutely, it'll be his first time on Bam's Radio, uh, and he's a great friend of mine. He's part of the reason that I'm in this business. Uh, he's always been very helpful to me, and he's. Uh, I've known him since I was a young, young whippersnapper and uh, coming up through school and uh, when he taught junior achievement, but then he's transitioned in his next uh, life as a, in, uh, working for a living in the media. Yeah, he used to call in, like myself, to a lot of radio shows, and I got to know him in that form as well. As a, and he always introduced himself uh, when, uh, when I was a kid as Bama Brett, and he was always Bama Brett on the radio, and now... He's transitioned and has his own radio show, which is a very good one. I kind of patterned mine after his in Florence, Alabama. He and a longtime media colleague, both in radio and, of course, on television, Harold Bug. And that's Brett Beard, co-host of the longtime show, the Boomo Bug Show, on 93.9 in Florence, Alabama. He's a uh, still an Alabama fan, but does a very good job in the media and covers the Southeastern Conference especially, along with his brother Brent, who is based out of Jacksonville, Florida, and he will be on my radio show tomorrow. But we're honored uh, to have uh, Brett Beard join us on BAM's radio. How are you? Uh, listen, guys, it's an honor for me to be on with, with you and Carrie. Uh, it, I tell people, Drew, when I'm on the air like you, I, I try to be objective, but uh, when you're born in Tuscaloosa at Druid City Hospital, uh, you graduate from the university in 1981, and I'm getting close now to about 350 games that I've seen live that Alabama's played. You kind of figure out where your allegiance is. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Uh, your, your blood definitely runs crimson, and we wanted to have you on the show and kind of to get your take on the Crimson Tide up to this point. It's been a season. It's it's unfolded kind of like everyone thought in, in some ways, and in some ways it's been a struggle. It's not always been pretty, but your take on where Alabama is at this point, and, uh, and, 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 and obviously there was a lot of talk in the preseason about the quarterback position. Uh, it played out like most thought it would. And uh, and I think in some ways now that uh, that the season is uh, you know a little over the halfway point, you could even say that Jay Coker has even uh, I know he surpassed my expectations, but that he's uh, played at a higher level than people thought. Uh, Drew, I agree with you. Uh, going into the season, my questions were: everybody was concerned about the quarterback situation. I'm like you; I thought that would play out at some point. And Coker, just with his uh, experience, at some point would get it and begin to improve. Um, I really thought the secondary would be the biggest improvement on the team as far as a unit, and it has been. Uh, I know Dobbs made some plays on their their touchdown drive to go ahead, Uh, and certainly the the, uh, front seven has helped the secondary out tremendously, but uh, that, to me, has been the biggest improvement. And we can talk about Ronnie Harris and Mika, and Mika Fitzpatrick and Marlon Humphrey improving. Uh, but to me, the biggest addition there was Mel Tucker. Um, and, you know, again, we can be hearing a lot of speculation about 
coaches coming and going. And I've been saying from day one, one of the reasons Nick Saban brought Mel Tucker in was, number one, to increase the number of turnovers. Uh, and you could see that when he was in the NFL, and particularly in 2008 with the with the uh, Cleveland Browns. Um, but I think the secondary has exceeded expectations. The linebackers have exceeded expectations to me. Uh, I've been listening to you talk for two years, and also you carry about the potential of Reuben Foster. Well, and also Redfish, William Barger. Well, we finally got a chance to see that potential against Tennessee. I think Tosh Lapoy deserves a lot of credit for that. Uh, You know, the NFL uh, defensive line is where we thought they would be. I'm still waiting for them to deflect the pass and intercept it. Uh, But the offensive line, to me, has been been the biggest inconsistency along with special teams. Uh, I thought this O-line, and I know both of you uh, have mentioned it on on BAMS Radio and in in other venues, could be but the best since 2012, and probably at times they have been imposing the will against Georgia the first half against Texas A&M, but the negative plays – Eight negative offensive plays a game, breaking Alabama 123 at 128. Ugh. Third down conversions, red zone scoring, penalties, all of it ties in together. And that, that has got to improve, whether it's playing a Bradley Bozeman or, or, or moving someone in and giving them a chance. J.C. Heisenauer, and again, I still think he played better against A&M than given credit for. Uh, receivers are, are beginning to come into their own. Robert Foster, again, certainly hurt early. Um, or Darius Stewart, who I was wondering if he knew where the first down marker was earlier in the season, seems to be improving. Tight ends have gotten better blocking at the point of attack uh, and also catching the ball. Special teams, guys, you just flip a coin. Is it going to be good this week or terrible? Well, they were very good against Tennessee. I think that's the reason, one of the reasons Alabama won the game. J.K. Scott now beginning to look like J.K. Scott, uh, nearly a 50-yard average, uh, two punts inside the 20. Alabama still not getting a lot from the return game. But again, when just like the the offensive line, special teams is own, it's an asset. When it's not, guys, it's a real liability. Well, Brett, I, this is Kerry, and I also thank you so much for joining us tonight. Hey, I did my not pleasure, Kerry. We I did not realize we were fellow members of the class of '81. I'm really glad to hear you say that. That's really cool. <laughs> now I was December. Uh, I didn't I didn't quite get out in in time right. for the, the, the pay March. I was December of '81 and. I was fortunate enough to be an RA at my dorm, so I lazily stayed another year and a half and got a master. So I, I really didn't have my 81 ring but two years. Brett, right. I traded it in for an 83 <laughs> when I got my master's. Not that ring. They took a thing I understand, Kerry. But uh, listen, what I wanted to say, uh, just a statement and then a question. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the special team thing, but I think we should give credit where it's due because whatever problem J.K. Scott was having with his drops, he seems to have that corrected. And whatever yeah. problem Adam Griffith was having, you know, Brett, since he started 0 for 4, Adam's gone 9 for 11. Uh, guys, that's going to be key for the remainder of the year. Uh, you know, of course, uh, all three of us are going to be asked 150 times what we think about the LSU game. And going back through history, that game is being predicated on turnovers and special teams. Who wins that battle? 
and also who can run the ball. But that, to me, has been a big key. J.K. Scott flipped the field twice against Tennessee, and he's he's very talented, as we all know. I was hoping he would self uh, improve himself, for lack of a better word. And you're right, Kerry. I think it was a drop issue. Uh, and, let him, and listen, Adam Griffith. A lot of guys would have gotten down. They would have quit. Uh, they would have moped around. But he has continued to work. Uh, again, uh, you know, Alabama fans are going to hold their breath if it comes down to LSU or Mississippi State with Griffith having to make a 30-yard field goal, uh, much less a, a 55-yard field goal. But, Kerry, you're right. Both of those guys have improved. I do think Alabama needs to, to certainly improve in the return game. Uh, I didn't understand why Damian Harris – uh, was was returning kicks and and I do think he's got a bright future uh, there. Uh, but again, Kenyon Drake or I bet we've been asked twenty times why Eddie Jackson and Minka Fitzpatrick are not returning kicks. And again, the coaches are there every day and we see this and it's an amateur uh, viewpoint for, for, from my standpoint. But Kerry, I agree with you. Those two improvements could really help Alabama and certainly win a game down the road. Yeah, and I think no doubt that uh, that Brett, I think uh, that's going to be the key down the stretch. I mean, Griffith is now ten for his last twelve. Uh, yeah. I mean, one of those, of course, was a twenty-five yard miss. The other uh, was around fifty yards, which I think people can handle. But uh, he <laughs> exactly. still seems to be much more consistent. He's become a weapon on kickoffs, and I do think it's been it was good to see King and Drake back at, uh, returning kickoffs in the last game. They need his explosion back there. I know he got a little dinged up against Ole Miss and then, of course, had the fumble. But, you know, he's been protecting the ball lately. I guess the one thing, and I know you're probably surprised about it as well, I've been surprised that he hasn't been more involved offensively, especially in the passing game. I'm more intrigued to see if during this bye week they finally decide to get both Scarborough more involved, yeah. though I doubt it will be a heavy role against someone like LSU, considering it's the biggest game of the year. But I'd still like to see the big freshman, if you're not going to redshirt him, and they, they played him already in one game, but if you're going to play him, I'd like to see him get more involved and maybe have uh, Drake utilize more as a receiver. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, Drew, I could not agree with you more. Even if he only had five touches a game, one of those could be a key first down, uh, a key touchdown, uh, and then again, Derrick Henry is a beast. Everybody knows that, but he also needs a little bit of rest. Uh, you know, again, Damian Harris, I think he's going to be much better uh, next year. They've had to throw him into the fire this year. He's had he's had a couple of good runs. I still don't know if Kiffin, Kiffin has figured out uh, what to do with Kenyon Drake. Uh, everybody wonders about that. When is the big explosion going to be? And I still say a long run could win an LSU and Mississippi State game. Uh, but Bo, uh, listen, Bo Scarborough is huge. He's nearly as big as you well know, both of you know, because you've seen him in person. It's Derrick Henry, but catching the ball coming out of the backfield, I understand he's got to gain the coach's trust. Uh, you know, picking up the blitz, doing the little things that so many backs don't want to do. Uh, but, but, Drew, I couldn't agree with you more. When you've got a weapon like that, at some point you've got to use him. Brad, I need, before I ask this question, i got to ask you, do y'all get Tyler and Souther TV up where you live? Um, do, do we get it on on TV? No, but I, but, but I see it occasionally 
uh, on the on the homepage. That's something I would like to try to help Rodney do. Uh, I know that's something we've talked about in the past. Well, they had a question last night, and, and the guy asked this question with a straight face. He was a new caller to the show, and I, I want to—I just want to show you the question, and then—and then I want to—I mean, I get that Alabama plays better on the road. They—they they played better on the road all year, Brett. Yeah. But this guy, this guy says his wife has figured out why. His wife has figured out that Alabama plays better on the road, at least offensively, because Jake Coker is better able to see his receivers from there wearing the white jersey than they are the red. Did you know that? <laughs> Uh, don't you wish you could be that elementary, but there may be a shade of truth to that, Kerry. <laughs> when they're playing at home, the other team's got on white, so I really don't think that's the issue. Uh, I just no, think no. the team is more focused on the road. But that, I just thought I'd share that with you because I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, Kerry, I think you're right, guys. And one of the things that so many people missed on that on the winning drive for Alabama, and I'm sure y'all probably talked about this, uh, Jacob Coker has a lot of shortcomings. Uh, we all know that. He can't get rid of the ball soon enough. He's indecisive going through his progressions. But he has come light years, and it's still amazing to me, a senior having to learn all this stuff. But the scramble that he made on the first play of, of the winning drive, instead of, a, instead of being a second in 20, uh, or 25, it was second in, in, in 12, and people say, what's the big deal with that? Well, if it's second in 25, I, I don't know if they're able to do it, but he showed a lot of moxie. Guys, six of seven on the last two drives for 96 yards, and something I've been saying all year long, I know you don't want to get him hurt, but he's a tough, he's a huge kid. I don't. A lot of people didn't realize how big he was. I think he should run more than what he is now, you know, it certainly, he's not capable of, of running the zone read, even though I think sometimes they need to do more design runs. Uh, and, and, Kerry, I agree with you. I think that's the reason why they are more focused on the road. Uh, but I'll give I'll give Coker uh, prompts. He's still got a long way to go. But from where he was early in the season, he has made a lot of progress. And, Brad, I, I have to say, he's made a lot of progress despite – and I, you and I have talked about this in, in many settings, but with some head-scratching play calling. Uh, <laughs> I don't think at times that, uh, that Kevin right. has put him in the best position. And, I, uh, you know, I, the game plan against Georgia was, uh, was lovely, but we, to me we haven't seen enough of the bootleg since that time. And I'm hoping during this uh, bye week that there's been a lot of self-scouting done because when, you, when you're talking about LSU – going on the road to Mississippi State and then on the road to Auburn, if you continue to kick field goals, it's going to catch up with you. Yep. And the Alabama's got to start in the red zone, cashing in for more TDs. And I'm hoping that they'll do some self-scouting. I don't know why we have failed to see the toss sweep more and, of course, the bootlegs in the red zone. I think uh, those. I think it would help Jay Coger, of course, with his mobility. He brings that to the table. But – I think it also gives him a run-pass options that would help him as well. And, of course, with Derrick Henry, I don't like a lot of the direct runs in the red zone. I think it's easier to defend. Uh, no, I agree with you, Drew. And defenses now are, have got so much speed. Going east and west is not going to get it done. Third down conversions, 33%, 109th um, among 128 schools. 
Um, I agree with you. Coker is a different quarterback when he's rolling, and particularly to his right. He is so much more accurate than staying in the pocket. He's again when that first first receiver is covered, he has a difficult time going through his progressions, and particularly getting to, to the second or third progression. Uh, and then all this again, this West Coast, East and West. Uh, if I understand the uh, the jet sweeps to Calvin really um, works occasionally. Why in the world he does it inside the ten yard line makes me want to get nauseated. Uh, but so much of the stuff is east and west. Uh, again, go vertical more. Get these guys off the line of scrimmage. That's one of the reasons why you're seeing so many seven to eight guys in the box against Alabama because what they know Kiffin is going to be throwing the ball. Uh, again, the, the, these quick f- uh, flanker screens, which guys are successful if the wide receiver blocks. And I don't know how many times I've seen a wide receiver lined up incorrectly or 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 motion, which is another one of the problems the teams had as far as the penalties are concerned. Uh, but it drew. Uh, listen, I've I've noticed that if it was up to Lane Kiffin, he'd throw ever ever down. Uh, if he was with uh, if he was with a another team, a Baylor or TCU, uh, I think they throw the ball seventy times a game. Alabama's not built for that. Uh, but I agree with you. There's no question. It, and, Drew, I don't know how many times in Kerry, Alabama's ran the ball inside the red zone in, in uh, multiple times inside the 10-yard line. You get to the two-yard line. I know the NFL throws a lot of slant patterns at the two-yard line, but when you've got a 240-pound tailback in the backfield, uh, I'm not real smart, but guys, run the ball. Yeah, exactly. With Michael Nice wandering in front of him, and I got to tell you, uh, another one, uh, Brad, I, that I, that I was just thinking about, and and, and that I've been uh, as you as you you start thinking about how the team could improve, and and in an area that they could become more efficient. I don't think there's any question uh, that Jake Coker. I've been impressed with his poise. Uh, I know a lot of people. I was critical of him and about his uh, you know football aptitude and his football IQ, but He's a gritty competitor. He inspires his teammates, and uh, I thought he was very, very poised uh, on that last drive against Tennessee, really the whole fourth quarter, because the whole fourth quarter was tight, uh, and I felt like he played his best football. I thought he made some really high-quality throws, and I think he's coming along, no question about that. Uh, and then, you know, and when you and when you see that, it gives, it does give you some confidence, but I thought the other thing you had to take, uh, uh, you know, uh, Solace in, and then I've been very critical of this uh, young man as well. But his, the last two weeks, and he did so in limited opportunities, obviously against uh, against Arkansas, but uh, and against Texas A&M as well. But I really thought our Darius Stewart had started to pick it up, and hopefully he's had his coming out party because we all know how talented he is. If you have him coming into his own with Calvin Ridley, and then of course they got O.J. Howard more involved, this offense can become hard to defend. Uh, Drew, I agree with you entirely. In fact, I've been very critical of Stewart. Uh, as I mentioned earlier uh, in the show, he didn't know where the first down marker was for the first three or four games, ran the wrong routes. I know there was one interception that everybody was getting on Coker for. Well, one of the reasons was Ardarius Stewart ran the wrong uh, the wrong way. Uh, Richard Mulaney, uh, it, Richard doesn't need to be returning kicks either, but his possession – 
the job he did against Ole Miss to keep Alabama in that game. Uh, but hopefully Stewart is beginning to mature a little bit. Uh, you know, Billy Napier hopefully has been working with these guys a little bit more. Uh, but, yeah, Drew, there's no question. When you've got receivers, you know, we're beginning to find out. Now you see the potential for Ridley. Hopefully our Derek Stewart now is beginning to run more precise routes. Uh, you know, I've been saying for years, my brother, as you know, is in, uh, is in Jacksonville, Florida. Chris Black, to me, has been a major disappointment. He's done some, quite frankly, uh, uh, not-so-smart things as far as downing the kickoff on the seven-yard line, for one. But he's never even come close to reaching his potential. I do think there are some receivers there, particularly Foster and Sims and Falcons, you're going to see more of uh, next year. But, Drew, you're exactly right. If uh, Lane Kiffin can continue to utilize the tight ends more, and Hingis, uh, I think the sky's the limit for him as he puts on more weight, et cetera. But, again, the more of a threat you've got at wide receiver, guys, the more it's going to open the running game. Yeah, I really believe so as well. And I, I know, Kerry, I know you have probably have some thoughts as well. Yeah, uh, j- just a couple of quick counterpoints, uh, Brett. Mulaney, quite frankly, is back there to block for Drake. He's not back there because they want him to run the kickback. Right. back. Right. Uh, regarding Falcons, uh, I'm going to respectfully disagree with Falcons. But based on the scrimmages I've seen the last two or three years, he's Terry Gibbons 2.0. Yeah, uh, Charlotte's the one to watch. I oh, yeah, I was afraid of that, Kerry. Uh, I was hoping he was going to come into his own at some day, but uh, after uh, some of the other people I've talked with, I would agree with you on that. It's a shame. I thought he had uh, some potential, but unfortunately, I think you're correct. But I did have a Florence question for you that is related to Alabama football. Uh, I happened to work uh, during my Monday through Friday job with a young lady who knows the Anderson family very well. And, of course, all of them went to Tennessee but one, and uh, she's friends with that one. So, you know, for the people that haven't seen him play, now Drew and I have, and we've talked about him. We've even had him on the show. But for, for the people that haven't seen him play, and I know he's redshirting this year, but what type of future at Alabama, Brett, do you feel Keaton Anderson has? Uh, it, listen, I think he's got tremendous upside, Kerry. Uh, I saw him play at Florence, uh, in particular, against some very good talent, notably Bob Jones. Uh, sideline to sideline is the best way I can describe it. I'm sure he'll get first crack at special teams next year, guys. Uh, but he is a tackling machine. He's a leader. He's poised. Uh, he's quicker than you think he is. But he's got tremendous range, um, you know, from from sideline to sideline. He would play, um, I know for the majority of his senior season at Florence, I think his worst game may have been 15 tackles. Um, uh, He is aggressive. But the other thing about it is, to me, um, from what I've been able to gather, he's football smart. Uh, You know, there's a big difference in a lot of that. There are a lot of smart guys on the field. He's also a leader. Uh, but Kerry, everything that I saw with him, uh, and again, I know he's going. He's he's he was a pretty good sized guy anyway. But you know, you go through Scott Cochran and 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 get better every year as far as the body is concerned, physically. Very physical player, plays under control, uh, is a leader. Uh, he makes everybody around him better. Uh, but I think he'll certainly get first crack at. Uh, special teams next year, but I think in a couple of years, Kerry, he's going to be one of the leaders on that defense. 
and and Brett, I know you've been around the SEC, and I agree on Keaton. Uh, I, I a lot of people. I talked to several people who told me throughout the process he was an SEC caliber. I disagree with that. Uh, I, I think exactly. he is a film rat. I think he's going to be a really good football player, and I think that's why Coach Saban chose him so early in the process. But uh, I know you've been around this league a long time as both, first of all, a fan and now a member of the media. Um, I, I personally think Leonard Fournette is going to end up being in the same class as Herschel and Bo and maybe slightly above Todd Gurley, who was very special as well, uh, and Darren McFadden. But what's your take on what you've seen thus far out of Leonard Fournette? And, of course, the challenge he's going to – uh, he's going to, you know, basically uh, give the uh, Alabama defense. Well, he's going to give anybody, Drew, a challenge. Um, I, I thought going in the LSU offense, uh, offensive line was going to be one, Georgia two, Alabama three. Well, I got one of those correct. Um, it, the the offensive line at LSU makes him look even more special than what he is. But yards after contact – uh, is something that the great backs are able to do, and, and and I go back to that Mississippi State game. LSU got up fourteen to nothing, then State came back and made it a game. And and uh, as a side note, what a year Dak Prescott's had. Alabama will find that out in a couple of weeks. But uh, Drew, he's a special back. Uh, Herschel, uh, the thing that to me that made Herschel so special was playing in pain. Um, he played national championship game with a dislocated shoulder. Uh, never came out, never griped. Uh, Bo was a special athlete, as we all know. And, you know, we, we've asked a lot of guests on our show over the years who watched them both play or played with them, and, and it, it, they take one or the other uh, because they're both uh, very special. Uh, Gurley is a very good back, too, but never could stay healthy. The thing about Fournette, to me, is is the tough division uh, to run between the holes, but again, running over he runs violently. Uh, you know, you hear that uh, tag with Adrian Peterson uh, with the Vikings, but that's what he does. Uh, Drew, he's going to give Alabama a lot of problems, but I still say Nick Saban built Alabama to stop LSU, uh, and that you're not going to stop Fournette. But I do think they can slow him down. Brandon Harris is going to be the key to that game. But, guys, he's a special back. I've been blessed to be watching the SEC since the mid-'60s. Uh, my, my, my dad's been a season ticket holder, was for for decades and decades, and I've been blessed to see a lot of great backs come and go at Legion Field and Bryant Denny and some of the other uh, some of the other venues. Alabama had quite a few of them, uh, but Drew – Ranking him, he's probably the backs that I've seen in the SEC since the mid-60s, uh, certainly in the top five, well, certainly in the top ten, certainly in the top five. We'll see how he goes, but he's been able to avoid injury. He's tough. Uh, the, the vision that he has to be able to cut back, of course, he's going to run you over. He, he's just things run you over. He's run around you. Uh, but he, no, no question about it, Drew, in my opinion, as far as uh, in the top ten in the history of the SEC, probably by the end of the year, if LSU were to go undefeated and get in the final four, I'd put him in the top five. Well, and I'll say this for Leonard Fournette, one play showed me a lot, and of course that's the Reuben Foster hit in the Alabama LSU game last year because many guys would have taken themselves out, and he that's didn't right. miss a play. That's and, right. I mean, 
He is a tough dude, Drew. A tough dude. Quick observation, Brett. You and I were in school when they played, but when people ask me the difference or who's better, Herschel or Bo, here's my answer, and it's not based on Bo going to Auburn. It's just based on facts. Herschel played with a bum shoulder to try to help his team win a national championship. Bo, on more than one occasion, took himself out of a ball game. Right, right. Herschel never did that, Brett. Uh, well, Kerry, that's the reason I mentioned that. How many banks would Kerry? Uh, uh, they'd have played for a quarter or a half, and they would not have been able to tolerate the pain. Uh, his mental toughness, uh, mental Herschel Walker, Walker's mental toughness is legendary. Now, Georgia had some good, solid offensive lines, um, it, but when he played, they were not spectacular. That's what made that. That to me is the difference with Herschel, Carey, and they, and I agree with you entirely. Bo was a special back. He was more of an athlete, in my opinion, than he was even a running back. And I still say, if he'd have specialized in football, may have been even better. Uh, but that's a bit that for that the mental toughness and the the ability to play with with pain and injury. I don't think anybody comes close to Herschel. Oh, and that's I, I tend to agree. I think Herschel is in a class by himself, and if, and people forget if he had stayed for his senior year like he wanted exactly, to, Drew. his exactly. records would never be touched. I, I, mean, I agree be, entirely. Nobody would be able to touch Herschel. But uh, but Brett, we we uh, we really appreciate you joining Bams, we, and it's been an honor for us to have you on tonight. Great info, and uh, we hope to have you on again soon. And. Uh, uh, it's always fun to talk ball with you, and uh, we thank you for joining us. And I know our listeners uh, had a ball as well, and uh, we look forward to, to you uh, talking with you again soon and have a great rest of your evening. And, again, thank you for joining us. Hey, Drew and Kerry, thank you. It's my honor. Uh, y'all, y'all do a great show. I enjoy listening to it uh, on the Internet, the replay of it. And, listen, anytime, I'll be glad to come back on anytime, guys. Have a great show. Thank, thank, thank you, Brett. Brett. Appreciate it. What are Thomas's friends ever ask him if he produces the Drew Carey show? <laughs> Maybe not. Okay, well, we're going to leave Lynn Rocks. Oh, wait, wait, wrong show. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, so uh, we're going to take a, a break now, and we'll be back in just a few moments with another guest. But for now, you're listening to Bama's Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family.
Bams Radio. It is approximately six minutes after the hour if you're listening live. If you're not, I don't know what time it is, but we like to uh, thank all our podcast people as well as our people that listen to us live on Wednesday nights here at Bams Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark of BamaMag.com, joined as always by Drew DeArmond of ESPN 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville and Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine, our producer. And uh, we've got another Big hour lined up for you here in the uh, second half of our show. We've made our halftime adjustments, and uh, we're going to have another couple of people join us this hour. Uh, one, a great friend of the show, Jimmy Stein, and another, uh, uh, I guess, our most loyal caller, uh, Big C, although he's been uh, relegated to the last 10 minutes. He's okay with that because he's a team player. So uh, that's what we got in store for you this hour. But I did want to... Uh, kind of get Drew's take uh, Tennessee game as we go ahead and put a ribbon on that. Uh, we, we we touched on a lot of this with Brett, but Drew, uh, I, I thought that as tired as they were and as dead-legged as they were, I, I thought the team showed a lot of grit in that fourth quarter. Well, they did. I thought they really showed a lot of grit, and especially Jake Coker throughout the entire second half. I mean, I just didn't think they finished drives, and I think some of that was – due to Lane Kiffin and the play calling. And I also thought something was very interesting. Uh, Joe Pendry spoke to one of the Red Elephant clubs this week and said that uh, that part of the reason Alabama was struggling was that the blocking schemes that Lane Kiffin prefers are much more complicated than what he teaches and even what Jeff Stalin taught. So I thought that was interesting. And uh, William Barger did confirm to me that uh, that that Mario Cristobal and Lane have been at odds about that. 
about, of course, play calling and blocking schemes and offensive design. So I know uh, Mario Cristobal has taken a lot of heat uh, from some fans, but it may not be all Mario. I still think a lot of it is uh, the the, the, uh, the philosophy of Lane Kiffin. And as Brett said on the show, he would like to probably throw it every down. And so well, if it wasn't for Coach Saban uh, uh, kind of intervening. Uh, I'm not sure that uh, Derrick Henry would be getting the touches he needs. But uh, it is what it is, and Alabama still, you know, put, put themselves in position and and uh, had a you know a, a really good start to the season and put kind of put the Ole Miss game in in the uh, past. And, and Derrick Henry is becoming a huge factor. It's going to be very interesting to watch him go head up with Leonard Fournette, uh, and hopefully uh, there'll be some self scouting done to kind of fix some of the red zone issues that we talked about already. But I thought that Alabama did fight through the fatigue. I mean, it, it worked out a lot like the 2009 game, but uh, I thought Alabama, they were kind of reminding me of a, a reverse of the of the 96 Tennessee game. Uh, you know, Jay Graham broke a long run. Alabama had dominated much of that game. Tennessee took a late lead and, and kind of stole it from Alabama, who couldn't answer the bell and couldn't drive down and score. And I think ended up the ball was run down and Tennessee ran out the clock this time. You know, Tennessee had a nice drive in the fourth quarter after holding Alabama to a couple of field goals. But Alabama bounced back, and Jake Coker led a great drive down the field. Derrick Henry uh, polished it off, and you kind of felt like when Alabama scored that they were going to slam the door shut, and that's exactly what they did. They Defensively, John Allen, and then uh, you got to feel good about for Ryan Anderson, who's kind of waited his turn, but they slammed the door and, and uh, he took the game from Tennessee. I had to miss that also meeting you were referencing uh, with, with Pendry, but I think you just told me what I needed to hear. Uh, I had to stay home and help out my basketball team by scoring 12 points and grabbing eight boards at age 57. But anyway, we've got our next uh, guest ready on the Big Head Barbecue Hotline, and Drew, I'll let you bring him on. Absolutely. We're, we're honored to be joined once again by a great friend of this show, and uh, obviously he's a guy that's been uh, an Alabama fan, for so long, I mean, for uh, if, 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 if there's been an Alabama website, this guy has been a member of it. Uh, he's also a, me- a member of Crimson Country Club now, and uh, still numerous other websites. You'll still see him on Tider Insider. He also does a daily podcast, Talking Tuscaloosa, with a great another great friend of the show, Luke Robinson. And uh, he's as connected as there is, and he's a guy that studies recruiting endlessly, kind of like myself. I'd, I'd, I'd call us both. We're not exactly paid to do it, but we're both recruiting nerds, though I was paid to do it a little bit in the last year and a half. But uh, we're honored to be joined on the uh, hotline, on the uh, Big Head Barbecue Hotline, by Jimmy Stein, a.k.a. LJS Law. Jimmy, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing really good. I'm hoping for one of those uh, paying recruiting gigs. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I made a little bit of money, nothing nothing special, but it's uh, it, but I will say this, it's it's also not it's also a a tiresome business as well. It's uh, something that you really don't get a break from and uh it's not all it's cracked up to be in some ways, but it's it's still nice to follow. <laughs> sure. Well, I've been doing I've been doing a, lo- a long time for free and it it is fun, but uh wow, what 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 a what a unique uh part of football that uh, college football recruiting is on uh, on about 50 levels. It's a very uh, very interesting and fun, and that's why I've been uh, so obsessed with it. Really, since uh, really since I've been in high school, I think I've been a big. Uh, somebody asked me the other day, hey, guys, about what 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 got me into uh, re- recruiting. I mean, could I remember one single thing that that really interested me in it? And believe it or not, uh, 
really it was when I was in high school, it happened to be the same age or, or a year or two younger, is really the recruitment of Emmett Smith. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm uh, yes. from, Daphne, from Daphne. I went to Farrup High School, and Emmett was from Pensacola, and he was uh, two or three years older than me. And, and, and Emmett was a, a nationally famous recruit sort of before recruiting became completely mainstream to, to all football fans. And I was just really interested in what Emmett was going to do. And uh, I think that was one of my first I think that was one of my first things that led me to being super interested about about the process. So I don't I don't know why I mentioned that we should be talking about Alabama. But here we are. Emmett went to Florida and certainly affected I'll Alabama. You he rushed like two hundred yards as a freshman against us. I'll back on that, Jimmy. Uh, and, and again, thanks for joining us here on BAMS. What got me started on recruiting uh, a, a little bit before that, not quite a decade before that, uh, I one of my, I guess you'd call it intern-type jobs I had when I was in broadcasting school at the university is I was the sideline reporter for several years for the Tuscaloosa County High Wildcats. And uh, we played uh, a team one night called Walker High School out of Jasper, Alabama, and I watched a running back named Lenny Patrick go for 250 yards and about three touchdowns. And I thought to myself, man, I hope Alabama can get him. But that was the start of my recruiting interest. And, and, and back then, it, you know, there was no Internet or anything like that. The way I found out Lenny Patrick signed with Alabama, Jimmy, is I called the sports information office at Alabama and listened to a answering machine recording of Kirk McNair stating that Lenny Patrick could sign with Alabama, and that was around 1979, right before Kirk started Bama Magazine. So that's how it got going with me. Different running backs in slightly different eras, but similar beginnings for the two of us. That's that's really incredible when you think of, of how far we've come in the what I call the recruiting industry. That's that's unbelievable, really. Drew, it really is. Jimmy, I was going to ask you, though, about this current team and uh, where they are. Obviously, you know, there's been a lot of consternation about the offense and the struggles, of course, the offensive line, uh, the, the red zone and the play calling. But I will say, because he took a lot of heat for myself and a lot of media in the preseason and even at the start of the regular season before he won the team in the Ole Miss game. But I really, I'm really impressed with the improvement on a week-to-week basis of Jay Coker and uh, you know, we've already kind of talked about it amongst ourselves on the show, but he you could say he ranks in the top half of the SEC as far as quarterbacks, and who would have thought that, you know, six months ago? Well, I, I think, you know, Nick Nick Saban all the time uses the term developing an identity and the offense developing an identity, and I, I think it took a while, and, and maybe it was Ole Miss, maybe it was Texas A&M, but I think Jacob Coker – you know, it's not pretty all the time. It's not it's not pretty in the sense that maybe a Jared Goff is pretty. But Coker, I, I think his identity is toughness. He's a really tough kid. And even when, the, when it gets tough at the end of games, like we saw just this past weekend, he rose to the occasion, led a, what amounted to a fourth-quarter drive, you know, or really a two-minute drive to win the game. And I think it's just his toughness has kind of permeated the offense. Our defense is already tough, and uh, I, I think that, that's what we see out of, out of Jake every week, and that's what I, I think of when I watch him play. He doesn't give anything away. 
he puts his shoulder down. He, he'll run over a guy, not run around him. And uh, I, I just think even mentally, to some extent, he's been very tough to undergo uh, the quarterback competition, to undergo, you know, even going into the season and, and, and even – uh, to some extent, I'm sure in his mind, being benched to start the Ole Miss game. Uh, I think he's just been a really tough kid, and he's tough on the field. And I think that's that's the identity that this offense is forging, at least a little bit. Jimmy, are you as amazed as we are at the? Uh, and I know it's better late than never, but at the plant foot correction by Adam Griffith and the drop correction by J.K. Scott in the nick of time to maybe save the season in both cases. Yeah, I was never I was never too panicked about either one. I mean, we we knew what what JK could do. I mean, we saw it for a whole season, uh, you know, as to whatever whatever uh technical details he was struggling through. I I'm not surprised at all that JK is back, you know, to the to the level that we're accustomed to, to watch him play. I think Adam was a little more worrisome just in the sense that Starting mid-season last year and carrying through the end of the year, he, he had not been too dependable. But, but to me, with Adam, it's, it's it's all been about his health and the health of his back. And, and even this year, when he he's missed four in a row, uh, I remember you know coming on on, on your show that I, I wondered perhaps if if it wasn't a little bit even mental with Adam in the sense that when he started missing these kicks was on the same day he became nationally famous. When uh, when Game Day aired his story about growing up in, in the orphanage in Poland, and uh, I was wondering, it's got to be a lot for a 20 year old to go from being the kicker at Alabama to being a, what amounts to a household name in college football, literally in one day, and then a few hours later, you're asked, you know, to make kicks on national TV, and uh, I just wonder if, you know, sometimes I think we forget how young these kids are. It's just a lot for them to handle, and. And J.K. had to handle, by the way, an entire off-season of nerd, old nerds like me, and the off-season on Twitter calling him the greatest punter since Ray Guy. That's what he's had to handle, and he, he's 19 years old. So sometimes it's just a lot on these kids, and, and I think we, we, we forget about that. And, Jimmy, obviously uh, there has been some talk about him because he missed practice today, but I think it's much ado about nothing. But I will say uh, I thought – this past uh, game, just from the opening snap, because uh, a lot of the team was dead leg, but this young man did not seem to be. Uh, I thought it was Reuben Foster's best game of his career, and I really think it's not, it's kind of been climbing uh, uh, to the radar because of Reggie Ragland's play, the defensive line, and the secondary's improvement. But I think Reuben has improved by leaps and bounds and is setting himself up next year to slide over to the mic and have a great end to his career. But your thoughts on how Ruben has developed this year? Uh, I, I could not agree more, Drew. I, I think you, you put it perfectly. I think starting in the spring, uh, w- when he sort of solidified himself into the defensive rotation and not just a, a special teams guy, and the fact that he was able, even at the end of spring, to win a spot in nickel and not just be a guy in a regular because we knew Ruben would be really good in the tackle box. We knew Ruben would be really good against the run. But the fact that he was able to submit himself a spot in, in nickel and dime even, uh, you know, against the pass late spring, and now as the fall has progressed, he's a guy we just rarely take off the field, and he gets better every week. And I think unlike some five stars who are fantastic from day one, 
other five stars are, five stars are a little more developmental, and and I think Ruben has been a little more developmental for us. But I think he's taken a huge step forward, and uh, it's the ultimate compliment to say Ruben now looks like a guy who not only is a star player for us right now, but Ruben is a guy that can adequately replace Reggie at, at next season as the guy in the middle that makes it all go. And uh, that, that's an amazing transformation from where he was as a freshman. Jimmy, i got to get your take on a, a current recruiting topic. I know we had fun reminiscing about Emmett and Randy Patrick and all, but what is your take right now, Jimmy, based on the people you talk to, about the situation between Greg Little, Alabama, and Ole Miss? What, what a great question. Uh, you know, I, I, I think Greg Little right now is going to go to Alabama. Uh, that, that, that's what I think. Uh, I, I, it's certainly not something I'm adamant on, and I'm, I'm not much of a even a guy that bets on the outcome of games. <laughs> and you'd be even, even dumber to bet on the outcome of recruiting. But uh, I, I think Greg Little is going to choose Alabama as of right now. But isn't it funny, guys? I mean, I'll answer your question with a question. Isn't it funny that Alabama recruits against the best programs in the country on a daily basis? We recruit against Ohio State for Terrell Hall. We recruit against, you know, uh, LSU for kids, you know, from Louisiana like a Devin White. We, we go down to Florida and recruit a Keith Gavin. But yet the program that, that makes us all shiver, the program that makes us, you know, throw up in our mouths when we recruit against them is Ole Miss. And that, for whatever reason, we say, oh, we got to beat Ole Miss for that guy. And Alabama fans get almost resigned to the fact we're going to lose them. And I will let – the listener come up with his own theory as to why that is. I'm not going to speculate. I'll just say, isn't it a little funny how if we were recruiting against A&M for Greg Little, and we've already beaten A&M, he already decommitted from A&M, and is more likely to sign with Alabama than an in-state school. But isn't it a little funny how when it's Alabama or Ole Miss, we get really nervous, and everybody can have their own theory as to that, but it's just a fact. I bet Drew has something to say about that. Well, yeah, I think we all know, um, you know, what what goes on at Ole Miss. I I think it's been documented forever. I mean, I think, uh, you know, it starts with a D and it ends with an S, and it's two words. But, uh, you know, it's been going on for years. And to be honest, I mean, uh, Ole Miss has improved their facilities and they've tried to put more money into their program. But when you start thinking – about a kid like Greg Whittle, who's a national recruit, and then Laramie Tunsil, who's a national recruit. It's one thing for kids in the state of Mississippi, but when you start seeing it uh, for kids you know, around the country, to me it raises a red flag. And I know that uh, the NCAA right now is a little bit toothless. Uh, we did see uh, the re- Laramie Tunsil suspended for half of this season, and trust me, it wasn't for uh, a, a, a drugs or a stimulant or anything like that or, you know, uh, even uh, conduct detrimental to the team. It was for uh, what I'm talking about right now, and uh, because of his stepfather deciding to, uh, you know, to, to talk. And uh, Ole Miss has been able to, instead of losing him for a year, and, uh, and a lot of schools probably would have him ineligible for the season, they lose him for seven games. But it is what it is, and I know uh, Alabama is still recruiting at a very high level, 
And to be honest with you, uh, Jimmy, even if they don't get Greg Little, and I'm of the opinion that they won't, uh, for the obvious reason that uh, that Greg Little will be the next Laramie Tunsil in more ways than one. Uh, I still think Alabama's got a very good left tackle that uh, visited this past weekend officially in Jonah Williams. They've got a commitment from Charles Baldwin. And then there's two really, really good tackles in the city of Madison, Alabama, near me that I think Alabama has a very good chance of signing, and that's Kendall Randolph and Austin Troxel. So if Greg Little does decide to uh, be, uh, uh, you know, to uh, follow in the footsteps of Laramie Tunsil and be on the monthly plan. I don't really think it's going to kill Alabama. I still think they have uh, done a great job recruiting. And I do think now, uh, finally, uh, going into this coming spring, along with Lester Cotton, that Mario Cristobal will finally have the pieces he needs. And then this is when we can truly judge Mario, because I think the cupboard will be uh, stacked. Now, Mario could move on to another school, but I'm not. I will say this. It's going to be hard for Mario to leave the talent that he's recruited. We are, I agree, starting next year, uh, the competition is just fantastic, and I think we had to kind of cycle out. I don't think even though despite the recruiting rankings, we recruited the offensive line, you know, really, really well in, in around that 2010, 2011, 2012 area. I, I don't think our offensive line recruiting was, was what it could have been, and we, we kind of have to cycle that out before we can get, you know, really, uh, really stacked again, but you know, I, I, I'm not uh, I'm not betting Greg Little signs with Alabama. You know, I think it's Alabama today, but I will not be surprised one bit if it's Ole Miss. And you know, and again, I'm, I'll, I'll leave it to other people to speculate. You know, I'm not speculating. I don't know why. I just find it very curious as to how we can go into Louisiana and sign kids LSU wants, and go into Florida and sign kids Florida wants, and go into Georgia and sign kids Georgia wants. But we're not going into Mississippi to sign kids Ole Miss once. And I find that curious. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> oh. Well, it's it is what it is, and it's been happening now for at least four or five years. I don't know why anybody's surprised about it. Uh but there are there are uh, backup plans already in place. Uh well I love you yeah, I love Jonah Williams. Drew, Drew mentioned Jonah Williams, and in my opinion, guys, and, and I, I'm curious to see if you guys agree, of, of all the 17 kids committed to us in the 2016 class on tape, and, and just in my opinion, I, I think Jonah Williams is the best prospect committed to us in this class. That, that's my opinion. Well, there's a lot of people, Jimmy, that I speak with think he's better than Greg Little, and that's why they're not worried about losing him to Ole Miss. Plus, if Greg Little goes to Ole Miss, and I think he will, for um, he he will definitely be joining the Dunlop Tire family. But uh, I think that it ensures almost because he's been to almost every home game that they're going to get uh, Austin Troxel, and then of course Kendall Randolph, and everyone knows who his brother is and about his family. And I think, and I've seen both of those young guys play in person, and they're both the real deal. And Austin will be a developmental guy, but he's still has a ton of potential, and I just think, really, uh, the sky will be the limit. Uh, Alabama, you know, right now they're kind of short on that, you know, depth to tackle, but in the next two years that's not going to be a problem. 
I love both those guys. Both, both of those guys were outstanding prospects. No, no, no question. And 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 I think to some extent, the offensive line more than other positions. There's some intangibles that go along with playing that position in terms of work ethic and being blue collar and being tough and being smart. Being smart. I, I think I think intelligence is an underrated factor at the, at the offensive line position, and that's why I, I would be really excited uh, as an Alabama fan if we're able to land both. Austin Troxel and, uh, and and Kendall Randolph. Jimmy, since you're a mobile guy, you know, we talked about it a lot you know, over the last hour and a half, but I want to let you weigh in. Dating back to when you watched him play in high school, uh, whether it was the wing tee or the regular offense they ran, to now, talk about the progress you've seen in those eight years, seven years for Jake Coker. Wow. What a great uh, question. You know, he took over, uh, Alabama fans, you know, he took over for A.J. McCarron at St. Paul. So, A.J., that, that's how long Jake's been around. You know, A.J. graduates from St. Paul's, and the guy that succeeds him at St. Paul's is is an 11th grader uh, named Jake Coker, who, who ran the wing tee after A.J. Le- after AJ left. And Coker's always been an extremely athletic guy. He's always been very large. His grandfather uh, is, is, a, is a, particularly to the old, old-timers in Mobile, Jake's grandfather is a really well-known and set all sorts of school records at Spring Hill College in basketball and football back when Spring Hill played football years and years and years ago. Uh, you know, but, but I think in Coker's junior year, if you watched him then, guys, I think it was a stretch to see him as a Division One quarterback. But then in his senior year, when St. Paul's changed the offense and they threw it a lot more, then in my eyes it was really easy to see him as a Division One quarterback. And I was a much bigger fan of Jake than, than the recruiting industry. I, I, I rated Jake really high. I don't have it in front of me, but I, I think I had Jake about sixth or seventh in the state after his senior year, even though his recruitment was sort of quiet, you know, as far as in-state guys go. But but think about this. I I hear this all the time. This is the number one thing I'll say about Jake coming out of high school. Isn't this funny that people think of Jake as lightly recruited and not highly rated, but on signing day, on signing day of Jake Coker's senior year, he signed with Florida State or he could have signed with Alabama those were the number one and two programs in the United States. Those were the top two programs in the country. They wanted him. Now, he didn't have the Ohio State, Texas, Southern Cal, Penn State, UCLA. You know, uh, he, you know he, he didn't have that offer list. But he could have signed with the top two programs in America on signing day. So I, I think calling Jake lightly recruited is just inaccurate. He was just a kid that didn't go to all these camps where these ratings are made because he was busy playing basketball and, and he is the complete opposite of a self promoter. But you know, the, the summer that when it, when, when it was time to get offers and he went to camps to get offers, he went to three camps, Florida state well, he went to Florida state and Duke and was offered at both and then committed to Florida state basically on the spot with Alabama telling him you need to come to camp to get an offer. And he just didn't make it there because he just accepted Florida State's offer. And then during his senior year, he was so good, you know, Alabama offered him off his senior tape, you know. So 
he he actually was a lot more highly recruited by the true power programs than most people realized. So I'm I'm not surprised that he's doing well. He's just had a very odd journey. And I guess that's what happens when you show up at a program and there's quarterbacks like E.J. Manuel and Jameis Winston, and then you transfer to Alabama and there's the Cinderella story like Blake Sims. And he's just had a very odd journey to get to this point. But we shouldn't be surprised, in my opinion, that he's playing well. And, Jimmy, I know you said something about it in the last time you were on the show. Uh, about how You felt like Alabama was still in strong position with Rashawn Gary. Some more information has come out. I know he talked to – Recently, I think to Ryan Barto, and basically said that he uh, Michigan was in a good position with him because, of course, his former coach and a former teammate Jabril Peppers is over at Michigan, and they've now offered one of his teammates, a wide receiver, who's having a really good senior season. Your thoughts on Peppers? He's, I mean, excuse me, on Gary. He's still saying Alabama's under consideration for a visit. Do you still think Alabama is heavily involved with him, or? Do you think uh, – luckily, defensive line is a very deep area, maybe the deepest in the country this year, and Alabama should. Personally, I love Dexter Lawrence, but Alabama should be able to fill out this class with a strong D-line haul. But what are your thoughts on Alabama and Rashawn Gary? Well, for, first of all, just, just exactly as you said, uh, Drew, the defensive line group nationally is, is outrageous, and we're, we're in it for so many kids. We're going to sign an extremely impressive group on the defensive line with or without Rashawn Gary. So it's not like it's do or die with him because we're going to sign a great group. I'll just say that uh, we're clearly underdogs based on his public statements. Uh, I would not – if anyone asked me right now, who would you project that Alabama signs on the defensive line in this class, I would not include Rashawn Gary. All I'll say is I, I am still to this moment not writing it off. Uh, I still think it is possible that Rashawn Gary ends up signing with Alabama. Uh, but would I project it? Would I favor it? Would I tell you that, hey, guys, this is going to happen? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I'm not, I'm not riding it off with him in, until, the ink's on, until the ink's on the paper for a few reasons. Uh, you know, but, but the number one obvious reason being we're, we're the best defensive program in the country. He's the best defensive prospect in the country. He has a relationship with our coaches, and I think that it would be crazy to assume he's not strongly considering us. But from the jump, when his assistant coach signed on and, and, and went on to become a, a you know a part of the Michigan staff, it's 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 been fair from that point to assume he would sign with Michigan. And if we're all throwing money in a hat, uh, my, my money would be on Michigan. But I, I do think Alabama has a better chance than what's being portrayed in the media. Jimmy, do you feel like uh, there is an inline, quote-unquote, blocking tight end in Alabama's future in this class? Well, I think Scales is that guy in terms of what we have committed right now. I mean, that, that's who I, I compared him the other night. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you who he reminds me of, even though it's not ideal. I, I think Scales is a little bit like Travis McCall, you know, who, who – you know, we had early in in the Saban era. I think he probably committed to to Mike Shule, if I remember right. But uh, I, I think Scales is a little like him. Uh, he's we, we probably want a more of a Michael Williams type, ideally in that spot, and and maybe not Brendan Scales is the ideal guy for that. But I do think he can get away with playing with that playing at that spot. 
So, you know, I think Scales is that guy. But at the same token, if he doesn't sign with us in February, I'm not going to be shocked. Maybe it's another guy. I would love to get one of these five stars, like the kid that decommitted from Florida State. But as of right now, the way I look at tight end recruiting in this group is what I do like about it is we have Scales, who's kind of like a Travis McCall, and we have Miller Forrestal, who's kind of like a Brad Smelly. And while neither one of them is a future first-round type guy, I like how there's two of them that are bringing different skill sets to the table. And, Jimmy, obviously another position group where it looks like Alabama is going to have is just a matter of choosing uh, those kids. But uh, I think personally because of the lack of development, I know part of it is because he's injured this year, but Falcons has not developed. Chris Black has been a huge disappointment who I think will probably spend his fifth year at another school. And obviously because Cameron Sims is coming back from a serious, serious knee injury, I think Alabama should look to – T.J. Simmons, by the way, has had a great senior year and has proven why Alabama took him. He's a great blocker, good receiver as well. Really good take there. I think they should take three more receivers, uh, and I think they're going to have a chance to sign three really good ones, and they're obviously involved with a bunch of good ones. But talk about who you like as far as uh, who they're recruiting, who you, who you think they could end up signing. Well, there's various guys in that group that I like, and then there's various guys that I think are more likely to end up with us. One thing I noticed the other day, uh, one of the websites, you know, I can't remember which one, but I was looking at one of the websites about about our offers. We have reportedly offered, I think the number, guys, is we've offered 40 receivers in the 2016 group, you know, and, and I know that, some offers aren't really offers, but I'm just saying at least 40 kids or more are, are reporting offers from Alabama in that wide receiver group, which shows, A, we are going to sign quite a few for one class, and, B, uh, much like the defensive line, it's a deep group of, of, of talent, you know, at wide receiver. So, you know, in terms of who I like, I love Keith Gavin. I love the Richards kid that was committed to Miami. I saw Tate him this week. He's committed to Miami and is now decommitted since Al Golden was fired. We have a really good shot at him. Uh, Gavin might be the best of all those guys out there, but, you know, signing kids out of Florida, Calvin Ridley has opened up that door for us. Amari Cooper opened up that door for us where we can go down there and get five-star type talent out of Florida at the wide receiver position, but if I had to guess now, conservatively, I think Calvin's little brother, and I use that term lightly because Calvin's little brother is actually much bigger than Calvin. Uh, he, he's a bigger possession type guy. Uh, I, I, I think the younger Ridley is a guy that could end up with us. Uh, Michael Jones, who uh, played with Daylon Charlotte in Patterson, Louisiana, I think is a guy that could easily end up with us. He's good. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say he's a future first-round pick, but but he's a good talent. Here's what's interesting to me, guys. Ready for this? I mean, this blew me away. When I was looking at the 2017 group, how uh, – it's a weird term to use in recruiting, but how incestual this almost is. We could sign Calvin Ridley in this group, who's Calvin's younger brother, and then in the 2017 group sign Jerry Judy, who's one of the best 2017 receivers in the country – he plays with Ridley at Deerfield Beach in Florida. 
We could also sign Nico Collins in the 2017 group, who's one of the top five prospects in the state in the 2017 class. He plays with T.J. Simmons. We could sign Michael Jones, wide receiver of Powers, Louisiana, that played also wide receiver with Dale on Charlotte. I just find it very funny that in these classes, almost back-to-back, we're signing a lot of brothers and teammates all, all at one position. You know, but uh, that's very possible that all, all, all of it could play out that way. Well, Jimmy, the one that I really like, and I know you didn't mention him, but and of course it's in another, it's in that state of Mississippi. But uh, I've watched a lot of guys on tape, and I, and I agree with you on Richards. I think he's a guy that's rising up the board. But I really like AJ Brown, and uh, Terry and I are going to try to go see him in just a couple of weeks. Right. Uh, AJ Brown's a really good prospect. I mean, there, there's there's no question. AJ Brown is a top-level elite national prospect from Starkville. Um, I like him a lot. The thing I like most about A.J. Brown of all his traits, I like the hands. I mean, this is a kid that's not going to drop a lot of balls. Uh, More of a – I don't want to say possession guy. I think sometimes when you say possession guy, people get this this idea that he's slow or that he won't make plays for you. But by possession, I mean – Man, even if college football is third and seven and you throw it to a guy and he's not going to drop it, that's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a really good player. And we saw – how about this play? Uh, You know, when I got on the air, Drew, you're talking about Tennessee. We don't win the Tennessee game without those catches that Calvin Ridley and our Darius Stewart make on the last drive. We don't win the game without those catches. And and those were possession – those are possession-type catches. They weren't – Catches and runs. They caught it. They caught it and and could not advance the ball beyond where they caught it. But we don't win the game without it. And 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 AJ Brown to me is that guy. I mean, he, he's not going to drop it. He, he's got. He will get open at clutch time and he'll make the catch. And you've got to have guys like that. It's not all about bubble screens and catching it and running seventy yards. There's very few freaks like that that are out there, you've still got to have the wide receiver that that when the lights are at their brightest, they still make the catch and, and, and win the game. Because we flat out do not beat Tennessee without the Ridley and, and Stewart catches on that, on that drive. Jimmy, I'm going to ask you a two-part question. It has nothing to do with football, but it does have to do with sports. Part one, <laughs> true or false, Lynn Marshall is the new Rita Rodriguez in part two. Will you be making more of an effort now to come up from Mobile for more home basketball games as a result of the new excitement in the program? (laughs) I could not be more excited about the future of Alabama basketball with Avery. And I I, I guess the best way that I can sum that up, guys, is this. uh, and, And back to football, but it has everything to do with Avery and Alabama basketball, is in the summer of 2007, Nick had only been here six months, but in that summer he started putting together the recruiting class that would ultimately include Julio Jones and Mark Ingram and Marcel Darius and B.J. Scott and the guys that, 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 that became the 2008 signing class that eventually led us to the 09 and 2011 national championships. And it was the summer of 07. I was telling people that the winning is now inevitable. It's not like 
we have to sit around and hope anymore. <laughs> the winning is inevitable when you recruit at that level. And Avery, between the early commitments he's gotten and the excitement he's built around the program, around events like last night, I'm telling you guys, the winning the winning is inevitable. It's not a mystery. We're going to win really big because recruiting is all that it's about. Talent is all that it's about. It's not about fancy coaching and calling the right play out of a timeout and having a fancy inbounds play or even marketing your program. It's about the talent level of the players on the field or on the court. And what Avery is doing is he is radically improving our talent level and the wins are coming. I mean, it's coming. It's it, it's coming. So I, I am so excited about that, and I'm so excited to have Avery as our head coach. And while this upcoming season is unlikely to end in a Sweet 16 type appearance, uh, we're we're all, we're on the right track. And uh, I'm just so excited to have a recruiter uh, of literally Nick Saban's level uh, thus far. Uh, you know, uh, in our in our head basketball coach position. Well, and that's well said, Jimmy, and and that's very important with what he's doing with this class. Is there was only one big time prospect in Josh Langford who uh, went to Michigan State, and I think if, if he had had another year to recruit him, he would have gone to Alabama. I honestly believe that because Josh has a close uh, relationship with Bob Simon, who is recruiting him at Providence. But with what he's done with this class and what he still may do. And it doesn't have anyone in state with the, the with the three to four prospects that are such high level guys in the state in 2017. He's setting the stage to be able to recruit those guys. A lot of people are, are some are already you know uh, giving up on John Petty at J O Johnson and saying he will go to Kentucky. I personally don't believe that. I personally think Avery has an excellent chance of signing him. Alex Reese at Pelham. And then, of course, Jamal Johnson at Spain Park. And I think uh, that will get the fans even more excited because this 2017 recruiting class is going to be as good uh, as any that the state has produced in a long, long time. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I wouldn't give up on any 2017 guy as long as Avery has to work with him. I mean, there's there's, uh, there's no question about that. And, and the fact is this, this is what's even more exciting. While I would have loved to assign – Josh Langford, because Josh Langford's an in-state guy and, and has five-star talent, and he's going to go to a fantastic program, Tom Izzo's program at Michigan State. And I would love to have had Josh Langford, but this is how good Avery is. We lose Josh Langford at Michigan State, which is terrible. But then, but then he goes and gets a kid from Dallas, Texas, who, who talent-wise is, is his equal or better. And, and then that's that is recruiting. That's recruiting. You know, well. Maybe we don't get the kid from Huntsville. It would have been great, but we'll just go to Dallas and get a kid that's just as good. Because in the end, it's, it's all yeah, about it's, how talented the kid is. And, and that's – that's I could not be more impressed with Avery uh, in, in terms of what he's done. It reminds me so much of what Nick Saban was doing with our program in the summer of 2007. And let's remember, in the summer of 2007 – we're coming off several seasons of not being good at all. Even in the fall of 2007, we were only seven and six. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, what, what the basketball program right now is where we were in the summer of 07. 
But in the summer of 07, we were stockpiling football commitments that guaranteed huge winning in the future. And that's where we're at with the basketball. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, and I'll just say this. He didn't visit last weekend. His, I was hoping he would with Terrence Ferguson, but he hasn't signed anywhere yet or committed. The signing date's a couple weeks off. And I'll just say it again. I'm sticking to it. If Marcus Bolden you know, visits Alabama, that's where he's going to sign. And I'll just, and I'll just leave it at that. No, I get it. So if exactly. we get him here, get him here, I'm not betting against it. I'll just say it, it's such a new world for us to be recruiting oh, yes. uh, basketball talent at that level, I'm a little skittish about project, projecting it. But, yeah, if the kid comes here on campus, I mean, what, what, what's not to like? And uh, let me tell you, I mean, I, I've been giving this kid a lot of credit everywhere. Our recruiting coordinator, the guy making it all happen, if we're going to give it credit to anyone other than Avery, is Avery Jr. And oh, yeah. I, I, I think Avery Jr. has proven himself as – the premier recruiting coordinator maybe in all of college basketball because uh, I think Avery Jr. deserves a ton of this credit for, for what's going on with Alabama basketball. He's he's brought a level of cool and swag to our program that, we, that we've never had before, and uh, a lot, lot of credit goes to the kids. It really does. And Well, Jimmy, we really appreciate the time. You know, you've been with us nearly about – 45 minutes here and I know you it's a busy time of year for you as well and we thank you for taking the time to join us on BAMS again I know we'll be having you on again soon but we really appreciate you joining Carrie and I and our listeners enjoyed your insight and we look forward to having you on again soon and have a great rest of your evening man really appreciate it no thanks uh Drew thanks Carrie thanks for uh having me on I really enjoy uh enjoy y'all show thanks appreciate it Jimmy I did not know it was a busy time of year for divorce lawyers, but I can see it. It does make sense. <laughs> now that I think about it, it makes sense. But you know what? Jimmy's been a great guest. I tell you, this is really shaping into being one of our better shows, in my opinion. We've had some great info tonight, some great insight, great guests. And we're going to wrap it up with Old Reliable, longtime <laughs> friend of the show, longtime caller of the show, friend of mine since the fall of 1977. And I'll never forget the look on his daddy's face when he walked into that room at Petty Hall and saw that black Afro pick on the dresser with the fist at the end of it. Colin Big C. McGuire, how you doing, man? Good. Good. How y'all doing? Uh-oh, wait a minute. Good, Colin. How you doing, Big C.? All right, great. All right, big man. What's going on? Not Let me much. make sure I... Go ahead. I'm listening to y'all boys. Oh, uh, I just... I... I just want I just wondered uh if you were a little nervous in the fourth quarter last Saturday. I wasn't happy about it, but I wasn't giving up hope either though. Um it was a little frustrating seeing them drive it downfield after we went up thirteen to seven, but then they went downfield and then you know, one good thing I like about it, we gotta go through another situation like that again. Hopefully we won't, but if we do we know they can do that. Well, that's a great point, and uh, yeah, we're here. That, that's a great point, and it, it's something that uh, I, I think Jake Coker uh, really kind of stepped up and, and showed that he can make the throws when he has to make them. Now, admittedly, there were a couple of great catches on that drive by Stewart and by Ridley, but the, oh, yeah. at the same time, neither one of those throws really could have been intercepted, and he did put it to where his guy could fight for it and get it, so 
I, I got to give credit to Jake Coker. And then there at the end, Derrick Henry stepped up and, and, you know, took it into the end zone. And, of course, we had to go for two. The book says you have to, and we did have to. It didn't make it. That was – and then at the very end of the ball game, Big C, uh, you know, now you're old enough to remember a, a play where Mike Dubose recovered a fumble to help cement a Tennessee victory. But this was almost like deja vu where Ron Anderson strips the quarterback and Ashawn picks it off and almost scores. And yeah. uh, I tell you what, it, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be a bad thing if that ended up as a Daniel Moore painting. That might as, do uh, that. Yeah, or as uh, Ron Anderson said when Michael Costigan asked him about a Daniel Moore painting, what's that? <laughs> Now, who asked that? Now, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> Michael Casagrande asked uh, Ryan Anderson, he said, do you think you're going to get a Daniel Moore painting? And Ryan's answer was, oh, what's know. that? He didn't know, he no. didn't know who Michael was. <laughs> no. That's pretty he interesting. Know. He's, already, he's actually already committed to doing one about the washout and asking stuff. Yeah, he already <laughs> talked. The, 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 uh, the sketch is already released. It's Derrick Henry. Well, right. Well, that's good. Um, yeah, I used yeah. to sell those. That was a lot of fun going across the state doing that. Um, but now oh, well, I can take Florence. Well, Big C, oh, I got to yeah, tell you right. this though. I know you're a guy who's you 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 watch and observe and read all media. And uh, what are your thoughts on the fool Danny Cannell? First of all, his alma mater throws up all over themselves and. And loses to Georgia Tech, who lost five games in a row. Then he yep. tweets out that after the Alabama game, that there's no way Alabama's a top ten team. Then he puts them tenth in his rankings on Sunday, but basically then says on Championship Drive on ESPN that Stanford is the best one loss team in the country because of the gauntlet of a schedule they've run, even though they lost to Northwestern, who lost thirty eight to nothing to Michigan. I mean, how this idiot has a job, I don't know. I don't know. I guess don't because like he's controversial. But I do. Well, say, all I'll say is, is he's a moron who's who's too biased to really understand what's going on. And I, I really question the guy's football IQ, to be honest. Well, I want to tell y'all something since you bring that up. Now, Alabama, now. At the time, they're not right. Some of them played four teams already this year. At the time when they played them, were right. Two of them ranked. Two of them are still ranked. Two of them are not. The two that are not ranked have only got two losses. Uh, that's Georgia and uh, and Wisconsin. And they were ranked at the time when they beat them and beat them pretty good. And then they beat you know, A&M and uh, who else? Uh, and we lost Ole Miss. And what's crazy about the Ole Miss game, you lose, you have five turnovers and you still almost came back and won that one. I'm not saying we should have, but that, to me, shows to me that they got a real good team. Now, times are up and down. Now, the offensive line the other day, from a pass-blocking standpoint, wasn't very good, but I don't understand. I think you might be right on that about Danny Connell. They might want him on there because he just he makes outlandish comments to have people to watch him. Hey, see, what do you think about the fact that uh, Alabama needs Auburn to win this weekend? It's pretty crazy, and that happened last year. Um, do you think there would be a repeat of that? I just can't see that repeating again, or what do you think? 
Well, Miss Patrick screwed up. So they had to follow up about as many times as we did against them. But I mean, in, in my heart, it's it's not going to bother me. I know it sounds like blasphemy, but it's not going to bother me if Auburn wins because I want Alabama to get that clear path ASAP, and I'm not sure. I can trust uh, Les Miles or Dan Mullen, either one, to knock off Ole Miss. Now, Ole Miss may crap the bed against one of those two teams, but I can't guarantee that's going to happen, and I like a sure thing. So I, the way I look at it, for Alabama fans, you just can't lose that 11 o'clock game. If Auburn loses, you laugh. That's fine. You go ahead. If Ole Miss loses, you go, okay. Now we'll be able to shoot yeah. and, and stay in Auburn, and we're there. So to me, it's, it's Alabama fans can't lose Saturday. Well, now, I'll say this. Go ahead, Big C. No, I agree with you on that. Go ahead. I'm... I was just going to no, say the one good sign we had tonight on the drive is Gene Stallings has his annual uh, weekly appearance, and he's been on fire with his picks lately, and he picked the Auburn Tigers to beat the Ole Miss Rebels. And we'll see. There's been a lot of speculation about Carl Lawson coming back and playing, and I do think the Auburn offense has looked better the last two weeks, and he hasn't thrown a touchdown, but Sean White, you know, he's protected the ball and had a bunch of drops last week. But I tend to agree with Kerry. You can't lose either way. Uh, but I wouldn't mind seeing the uh, Dunlop Tires guys go down. And uh, I do think Auburn's still got a tough schedule, uh, you know, remaining. Uh, you know, they, they've got three tough SEC games, even though Texas a and not looking as tough because they're at the dysfunction junction. Right now, they've got to go to Texas A&M. They've got to host Alabama, and then uh, they they play host to Georgia. And so we'll see what happens to Georgia against – because basically the winner of Florida-Georgia this weekend, they're going to win. You, that team, the winner of that game, is going to win the East. Let me, let me throw this out, Big C. Let me throw this out, Big C. Let's say Auburn wins this week, but the only other game they win the rest of the year is Idaho. And let's say that – that Greg Sankey, the new commissioner, doesn't kowtow to him like Slav did. And let's say he makes them go to Legion Field for the bowl game. How freaking funny would that be? Oh, that would be great. That would be great. James, all right, you just said that. What was the deal about uh, Slav kowtowing to Auburn, or what was the deal there? He would never make them go to Birmingham. They would beg him out of it, and he would at least two or three times he got him out of that game because – they said, you know, that it would be too embarrassing for them to go play in Legion Field again if they hated it so much. But I'm just saying, what if Sankey says, to hell with you, if you're 6-6, six and six, you're going to Legion Field, or you can just I not go to a ball game. There. Oh, I would know. laugh. I, I think I might even go and take my Auburn fan nieces just to sit there and laugh at them. Unless it's, <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's what now? Unless it's freezing cold. It's usually very oh, yeah. cold outside for that ball game. Yeah. Well, I got to ask you. I got to ask you, Big C, because you know everybody in Greenville, Alabama, and and we'll see how the rest of this season plays out for Auburn. Uh, but I, I tend to agree. If Auburn loses the game Saturday, they're in trouble. They may not go to a bowl game, or if they do, they're going to be lucky to to, to 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 back in at six and six. But what is the talk in Greenville? It, does most people still think that Marlon Davidson is going to sign with Auburn, or do they think there's a chance he could end up going to Alabama? I've talked to some people, and they think there might be a possibility that he might go. Um, one person, I mean, I don't know if he knows that. I mean, he knows what he's talking about. Uh, I think that could still be a possibility. He might end up in Tuscaloosa. Mm, I've heard the same, but I just wondered if you were hearing it. No, I, I need to call that guy up. I talk to him about once a week. 
and I, I think that's a pot. I'm not saying that it's just lead sink, but I mean it could be a possibility. Like if things fall apart, that could happen. It wasn't surprising. I'm not saying I won't. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it wouldn't shock me if it did happen. Let's put it that way. Well, I think that might be a good note for us to uh, end on, Big C. That's some pretty good stuff. Yeah, pretty good Thanks. stuff. We uh, we're coming. We appreciate you calling and holding so long, and you're always valued uh, as a caller here. And we appreciate you doing it. And I'll talk to you a little bit later this week. Uh, but uh, for now, good All night. Right. Uh, welcome to the Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Okay. Now, good show. Good two hours. Uh, I want to thank our guest tonight, uh, Brett Beard. Hannah Chalker, and, uh, of course, Jimmy Stein and, and our loyal caller, Colin Big C. McGuire. Uh, it has been another good two hours of info and opinions on Alabama athletics, mainly football, but we got a little basketball on there, too. But we're going to go ahead and close out this week's edition of BAMS Radio, member of the BAMS Sports Radio family. I'm Terry Clark from BAMAMag.com. Thanks to both our co-hosts, Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine and Drew DeArmond of ESPN 97.7 is on. Good night, everybody, and roll time. Roll time. That Danny Camel bashing was for you, Deborah Viggs.